class. Uh, this is the second class in our study, New Jerusalem. And our brother in his remarks this morning in the assembly uh, made a statement of which I thought was very appropriate and I would just like to bring it to your attention. I don't, I don't exactly remember how he referred to it, but he said that in one of the writings that uh, the episode I think was prefaced by saying that this was a political... Um, a, pardon me? Yes, it's a, a political book. And I wonder whether we all appreciate that to the fullest extent. I mean, we talk a lot about the individual. We talk about the walk of getting into the kingdom. We're talking in terms of individuality. But this thing is a much bigger thing than that. This is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of men. And it's a government, it's an organization that is tremendous. And that each one of the people who are traveling the highway to eternal life belong to that kingdom or are associated or are citizens of that kingdom. And that is the uh, approach that we are trying to bring here uh, this year at the Bible School to bring that thought a little more to the front. Each part of the uh, operation is necessary. But let us not forget that uh, we're a political organization just as well as anything else is and that it is not a case that we keep our hands clear of, of politics. Uh, we're in that stage, but we just happen to be in a stage of which there is a righteous, a living God, and there is a righteous ruler who will rule on this earth. And that he has promised that there shall be people with him to help rule this world in righteousness. So that you can see, I believe, the magnitude of it, and I believe that you can see the high and holy calling that is upon every one of whom has taken on the name. Now yesterday, we went through uh, a figurative illustration that is given in the book of Ezekiel in the 16th chapter. We're shown there different relationships of which we think are uh, worthy, note, and necessary if we are to put the whole thought here together. And uh, <clears throat> the consideration of this biographical description of Jerusalem reveals a number of characteristics that are pertinent to our study. And when cataloged, they form the foundation of a descriptive chart relative 
So the kingdom of God titled Jerusalem. And that the premise of this chart is based on the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 46 to 49. Howbeit that which was not first, howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is the earth earthy, the second man is the Lord from heaven, and is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And we emphasize that in our classes here at the Bible school many times that the natural was set up in such a way by the deity, by the Almighty, that it was a way of teaching the spiritual uh, import. And here it is being taught by Paul to the Corinthian brethren. It's being brought to their attention. And we hope to uh, illustrate that uh, as we go along in our chart. Now the roots here are in Sinai. The roots of these characteristics of the relation to Jerusalem are in Sinai. But they are selected primarily from the era of the first divinely chosen king from the ruling tribe of Judah. You notice we were putting here the first divinely chosen king from the ruling tribe of Judah because we cannot eliminate Saul as being divinely chosen as a king. We should note that originally a city basically was a kingdom. I mean, we're thinking now in kingdoms of overall proportions of great magnitude. But basically in the beginning, a kingdom a city was basically a kingdom completely enclosed by a high wall for protection and represented by everything within its wall, such as the government, people, worship, business, everyday life, etc. And the divine purpose in Jerusalem is expressed in like manner. We should not think of the city as merely a walled-off area, but rather as a city including the things pertaining to it as it operated in the name of Israel's God. Its features are listed under a column-headed characteristics located in the middle of the chart as follows. Now, we have tried to put this forth 
in chart form. High in Jerusalem, the premise of by which we have set it up, and a list of characteristics of which we believe uh, apply to our subject or to the city Jerusalem. <coughs> On the sides of our chart, opposite the column headed characteristics, are two other columns. We've got one here, and we have one over there. The one on the left is headed old, which we're not going to pull down here yet because of some of the uh, difficulties they had of putting the paper on. So we're going to use a little different method this year. Uh, but we'll bring it down later. <clears throat> it's listed uh, it's headed as old, referring to old Jerusalem, and the one on the right is headed new, referring to new Jerusalem. So let us see then what value we can assign to each characteristic under the column headed old. We're gonna attempt to put values here and we have in the text uh, proofs of which we are giving, which we believe substantiate the words of which or the, the values of which we have selected. If we put any, we're not going to go through the proofs because it will take too much time. But if there are any questions as to the, uh, the value of which we are assigning, we'll go through the proofs if you wish and uh, see whether we can satisfy what we, uh, we, have, uh, we have assigned. Yes? I think you'll leave the class of service if you'll tell us that in these manuscripts that we will receive, uh, these charts will be on Absolutely. the Absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we've fixed it in two uh, ways. We've taken a single column of this chart here, and we have filled it with, uh, made it with, the proofs. We've done the same thing with the New Jerusalem, and then in the end of the manuscript, we have the complete chart without the proofs. We have gone uh, to a little further extent in the individual sheets, and then have more or less tried to condense them on the final chart in order that we can get them onto the uh, Shade. Uh, you can see that in a couple of cases we just made it. <coughs> so that, uh, we have tried to condense it as much as possible. So suppose we ask the class here, the first characteristic we've got here is called gender. What is the gender of Jerusalem? All right, female. Uh, please bear with me as far as spelling is concerned because I can give you all kinds of reasons why I misspell them, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you won't believe it. <laughs> Everybody has agreed that <coughs> Jerusalem is female. The second one here then is divine choice. What 
proof could we give, or what could we say would fall in that category? Remember now that Jerusalem is a city, a government, including all aspects of the, what we said the kingdom was. It was not only a royal city, it was one that included a, uh, a city and everything that pertained to the operation in relation to God. Could we say it was the city of Israel's God? If you would like to look that up, look it up in Psalms 87.3. So we'll say then that divine choice here is the city of Israel's God. Now, the next one, the queen. The favor of the queen. Remembering yesterday now, in our text, what could we give for a value here? Remember the relationship between God and Jerusalem? The unkept babe growing into a beautiful woman, entering into covenant relationship. Well, what a queen is, that's exactly the thought that comes from a queen. Could we say it was the bride, the king's wife? Would that be suitable? Remember, we emphasize the point that God was the king. And the scriptures definitely indicate that he is the king. He's not the only the one supreme being, but he is the king of Israel. When he entered into covenantship at the mount and took them as a peculiar people, he was the king of that kingdom. The next one then we have receives the husband's name. Anybody have any thought about that? Remember we're talking about the time of the first divinely king uh, chosen from Judah. Could we say it was the city of David? If you'd like to look up 2 Samuel 5.79 And David took the stronghold of Zion and called it the city of David. The fourth, the uh, fifth one then, the temple, I'm sorry, 
The house of God. What do we fill in there? <laughs> You're quick there, I guess. <laughs> I can't make these mistakes around you, Chuck. Temporalist. Now, here's one that uh, might be a little perplexing, but the sixth one here. The location. Where was the location of Jerusalem, old Jerusalem? Well, does that exactly define it? Whose inheritance was it in? Who? Say this a little louder, please. Judah's inheritance? Are you sure of that? Charles, what did you say? I think you'll find it's Benjamin. Uh, there's an interesting thought in relation to that because in our study that will come along, uh, Benjamin was the last son of the beloved wife, and there's a, a definite teaching in there. So it's the location within. Now, here's where I got to be careful. <laughs> Benjamin's inheritance. Our seventh one. We now have an administration. What could we assign to administration? You can see how, how, how much this is following in the line of government. Present uh, government. Army. Uh, well, now we're getting closer to it. What, uh, what did it say at Mount Sinai when they entered into relationship? A kingdom of priests.
The third thing I don't mean to confuse you, but I'm just trying to emphasize the point that this is the way it is expressed in the scripture. So where are we now? We're down here to the eighth one. The seat of authority. Where was the seat of authority under the Lord Jerusalem? Well, take it from the, if you want a, a clue on that thing, take it from the uh, wilderness. When it was set up in the, in the days of the wilderness. Because the kingdom started in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. Mercy seat, absolutely. Where's the seat of authority? And there is where the throne of God is. And in our uh, discussions with people of many times and asking, trying to find ourselves as to where the throne was or is in the future, uh, we had all kinds of answers and as many times we had no answer. But as far as uh, Brother Roberts is concerned, and I think that you can, you can follow it in the temple, the Ezekiel's temple, that the mercy seat is where it says that God would meet uh, with man, and there is what is considered the throne of the kingdom of God. When it became a, uh, under mortal man, man had a chair, and people think in terms of a throne as the uh, seat of authority. But God's uh, thoughts are much greater than that. It is where he said he would meet uh, with his people. The next one then, nine. What is the Constitution? Pardon? Well, yes. I mean, can we re rephrase that just a little? Well, no. I mean, did we enter into covenant relationship? Did they enter into covenant relationship? <laughs> under the under old Jerusalem or under the new covenant? No. Were they under the Mosaic covenant? Pardon me? They were, yes. Old Jerusalem was not under the Mosaic covenant? Yes, they were. Could we say then that the Constitution was the Mosaic covenant? But that is what brought them into covenant relationship and made them part of the kingdom of God. The Mosaic covenant. Down to ten now. What was the priesthood? Was 
<laughs> Can we settle down on one, uh, one, one word? Ironic. I believe that that is the uh, proper way to express it. I would do it better. Uh, We're in here at the 11th one. The faithful high priest. Who was the faithful high priest? Absolutely. And do you remember what Zadok means? Absolutely. Now, the set of the uh, the common priest. Well, was the Levites the common priest? <coughs> Well, what was Aaron? What was Aaron's son? No, but I mean, what were they considered? Were they? They were the common priests. Weren't they the common priests? Well, then who was the the common priest under Zadok? Wasn't, wasn't uh, at the beginning of the time you remember that there were two high priests and there were two sons. Zadok was one, and I think Abiathar was the other. One came from the house of Eleazar, and the other one came from Ithamar, I believe. And later, if you remember, when Solomon took over. This was the only one that was faithful. The other one went the way of the flesh. But both of those had a son, and Zadok's son was Ahimeaz. Remember Ahimeaz? He's not very well known about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. Where's the proof? Got a lot of proof? Yep. Second Samuel fifteen, thirty-five to thirty-six.
I've got from Youngston Porton. So that if you look in your own concordance, you'll find, I forget exactly what it was, uh, but if you look in Young's concordance, you'll find that it meant power for I think later you brother. Uh, as I say, no one needs to take these down because they're in the text. It's just a case of if you don't accept what we say here, we'll give you a, a, a proof to hope to uh, substantiate our position. So. You see, I think, when we pull down the New Jerusalem as to the value of some of these things here. Now, 13 is the beloved king. Who is the beloved king? Are you having trouble that That means, what's it mean? The so then I tell what happened. Who was on the fourth, uh, on the fourteenth one then, the seal of the king? Pardon me? Well, he definitely was anointed, but uh, we had another thought in relation to it that he bore a seal from God. Did we say it was the Davidic covenant? I mean, is that acceptable? Didn't, didn't God make a covenant with David? So can we say the Davidic? You might not. Yes? I hope so. Where are we? We're up out of here at 14. Uh, in trying to get a list of characteristics, we have to be very careful with this so that. Uh, we thought we could get something that would, would bring the thought through that wouldn't be confusing. So we, we, that's our choice, and uh, we hope you accept the thought. Now the king's counselors, 15, who could we say would be the king's counselors? This is another one that uh, you might be interested in. Can we say it's the princes of the twelve tribes of Israel? You want to prove? The first chronicles twenty seven, sixteen to twenty two. 
the king was the head over the whole kingdom. But each tribe had a head over that tribe. And we have listed that as his counselors. Because if you remember when the king didn't do what they wanted, they left the king and directed the people, particularly under Rehoboam, to go to their tents. What's that
The next one is gates. What would normally come to mind is relation to gates. Entrance into the fortress. Could we say that? Or access to fortress. I'm not talking about well, four square. Uh, yesterday, somebody said about four square. Uh, a cube, you said? Well, yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Four square, to me, is just a four lines, a four sided. But to be perfection, you got to have the height on the thing. you got to have a cube. You say that the, uh, the measurement was a cube? Well, it had another name to it. Opal. Well, pardon? Opal. O-P-H-E. No, no. That was the well, was it? Tower of the well? Well, uh, and Solomon's Temple. What were what they called? What was the most holy place called? Oracle. Oracle, was it not? And it tells you that that was a perfect cube. The third one here is material. What do we, could we assign that? Oh, Jerusalem, a wooden stone? Well, now, again, again, you're thinking, I believe, in terms of just the literal city. You remember we said that it was everything that was in the city that pertained unto God. And we brought out that the temple was the house of God. But we brought out that the cube, the measurement was in relation to the oracle. Uh, this is What was in relation? Well, you're, you're getting down to it, but what was the oracle? How was it made? Absolutely, absolutely. That was brought out this morning, told us that you'll find that the oracle was wood overlaid with pure gold. Get my brother Ted here now. Wood overlaid with pure gold. The precious stones. What do they represent? All right. Could we put that in the terminology of chosen people? Expressed that way in the scriptures. The the next one then is the twelve tribes' names. What do they represent? Absolutely. Israel, that's all. In what state? Patrick? Natural Israel. Natural Israel. Israel of God, natural. 
Now this last one here, I think I have reason to uh, give her a value. It was a little hard to uh, come to a conclusion on that, but I think I can at least give you a thought on it. What would you think is the uh, behind street, the word street? Well, that's, that is true. But you've got to go into the root word that that Hebrew word that that comes from, street. And it comes from a open square, a broad open square, of which uh, Isaiah says, in 1549 uh, it associates it with truth. So we call it a place of truth, an open square, and you'll find that uh, in the article that it was not only the, the sides, but the floor also was wood overlaid with gold. It is an open place, and there is a place of where the truth of God <coughs> uh, was found. <coughs> and as I say, uh, it called it the city of truth in some places. It is, uh, it's not too far-fetched, but we have to struggle a little to get a, a thought on that. So, we have that a value for each each one of these uh, things. We can pull them down and they, they line up. Little bit. More? No, I mean it goes up to another. There you go. Uh, so, well, when I pull out of the lap, it'll work. Very good. Very good. That was one of my problems uh, as to how to get these on three separate charts and line them up. It's a, it's a, a secret of which... <laughs> so now we have, we have a set of values here. The figurative, then, biographical description of Jerusalem <coughs> Presenting it as a woman not only reveals the Creator's purpose in it, but manifests some very fundamental relationships which are worthy of consideration. I mean, these are things of which we all know, but what we're trying to do is, it's like our jigsaw puzzle. You put it all on the board, you turn all the pieces up, 
first, and then you uh, attempt to use these pieces around necessary for the completed picture. But you, you move this around a little, you move that around a little, and you finally come to a picture. So that uh, we're taking these things of which we know, but we're trying to catalog them, we're trying to put them in an order of which they're, they're giving us a basic teaching, uh, of which is necessary, we believe, in understanding the purpose of God and the position of which the child of God holds in relation to those purpose. So that uh, here, it manifests, these manifest some very fundamental relationships which are worthy of consideration. A divine principle is exhibited therein which reflects the divine order of rank that is constant in all the created works. The following are examples taken from the natural order. I can take this one. Uh, one time I met, mentioned rank to a brother and he took a little exception to that thought. But I believe that it is elementary that there is definitely a rank uh, in the order of things starting with the Creator and coming on down. He tells you that those who attain the first resurrection are in a much better position than those who are attain the second resurrection. So, <clears throat> I'm just going to put here uh, one of the first things that, that comes up. And I'm going to ask you what would be the, the corresponding of the, of the the succeeding values under here. Moon. Star. Stars. Get it right in, in the first chapter of, of Genesis. Now let's say uh, it's put in there as far as creation is concerned, but it definitely has got a value all the way through the scriptures. So, the second one here then, let's say that we give the, the heading there, male, what would fall under that? Female. And we got another one that's Well. Children is in is in the thought, but uh, when you're putting it in gener generalities, uh, can we express it more in generalities rather than um, offspring? Well, yes. Do we put it in people as people as general? Because both of these are are people, but there is a rank male, female, and they. Let's see if we can do this. But I hope in your attempt to bring all this together, you don't have two or three rope devices like we spoke of yesterday about it trailing out up and over the bay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ted, you remember what I told you? <laughs> Before this Bible school was over, I hope you learn the difference between 
ruling power. That's power perhaps I have that on the text, so. <laughs> we come to our sixth one and our last one then. Uh, what is the sun? We go back again to the to the original because this is the first one. What what is the sun on the ruling power of here? King. King, yes. What would be the second one? The moon? And what do we say would be the individual heads? Princes. Can you see some of the thoughts in here now that we were talking about the queen, the king, and the princess? So here is a relationship of which is constant, set right up in the beginning, in the creation, uh, of which teaches us a basic lesson that this is an order of rank in different phases or different degrees that is constant through the scriptures. But it doesn't change. So turning back now to the description of the sun, the moon, and the stars in Genesis 1, we find the magnitude of light is greatest with the sun. Next the moon, and last the stars. It says the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, he made the stars also. The word reveals God is not the author of confusion, therefore it should not be or should be no surprise to find the other examples just naturally follow the order set forth in the creation, as we have attempted to portray here. God's children must recognize this order and realize that under no circumstances can it be changed. And right now we're going through uh, a period of where this is trying to be changed. The freedom that is being expressed between the male and the female is an absolute violation of these relationships here. And again, as has been learned from the stand, the world can change, man can change his way of thinking, but he can't change the order of God, and any child of God who hopes to be in the kingdom has got to recognize that the order set down by him is the order which must be followed if he is to receive the coveted crown. The order is confirmed by the Apostle Paul as he counseled the Ephesian brethren. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, 
even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word, that he might present it, and I wish you to note that, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. But no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth even as the Lord of the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, it says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And the order of mortality follows exactly in the same uh, relationship. If this be the teaching of a natural order, what do we gather about the teaching of the spiritual order? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. But later he qualifies his statement by saying, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. How much more time do we have? I think that... Uh, well, let us just take one more paragraph up. Psalms 19, 1-6 helps us to equate the light. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language, where their voice is not heard. Their line is drawn out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth, or the world. In them hath he set the tabernacle for the sun, and that sun there is S-U-N. But this is a tabernacle for the sun. And you immediately, I think, uh, equate the sun of righteousness rising with he in his wings. So that <clears throat> it helps us to equate the light of the sun uh, as it is being shown through his son, Jesus Christ which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run a race, his going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the end of it. And there is nothing hidden from the heat thereof. I think that it's just about time. and We didn't get near as far as we hoped to get here today, but I believe that in going through this here, it is necessary to give you a thought of what we're building up to.